Hey, let's open up our Bibles to James chapter 2. And this morning, I, 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 this, this passage is very dear to me. Tucker was very accurate in that regard. Uh, this has been an important passage for me in my life. And so um, I'm excited to get to share it with you guys. Um, and really this morning, I, I, I want to present some questions to you. And I want to tell you some stories. And so we're going to do that through the book of James and in chapter 2 here. But the first question I really want to start with is, you know, a lot of people say they believe in God. And I think if I took a poll, you guys would probably say you believe in God. Is that correct? Can we do a quick show of hands? No, again, if you want to, that's fine. But yeah, I'd say, right, church, that's a good assumption. I can probably make that says, yes, you guys believe in God. That's great. Um, I guess the, the different question maybe to ask then is, well, what does that really mean to say you believe in God? And that's what James is going to get at this morning. And so in James chapter 2, verse 19 is where we're going to start. We're going to pick up with the verse that Kirk left with last week because uh, I think it's just very uh, poignant for where we're going to go today. So if you guys will read along with me in James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of God. This is his words. It's through James, read by us this morning. And I, I was reminded this last week that this book is our friend, and uh, I want to call it that more often. I want to say, hey, friend, let's, let's go hang out. Let's, let's go hang out. Let's go see what you have to say to me today. And this is a good friend. But this is a hard passage this morning. I think it's a tough passage because it's challenging and it's, it's sobering, I'd say. It's, it stirs us. It should. It should awaken us. Because apart from, like it says in verse 19 and 20, apart from the works is, is useless. That faith apart from works is useless. That's just challenging to listen to. I want to recap really quick where we were at because I think it's important as we pivot into this subject because we've talked about mercy and what that looks like and we should be... Um, unpartial with it, right? We should just give it liberally. Kirk last week talked about charity, and in that regard, that's one way of showing mercy is how we're charitable to others, how we can give to others, and we should do that without partiality, okay? And now he's, he's taking it one step further, and he's saying, well, hey, you believe in God. That's great, but the demons believe that, so show me what you believe. Show it to me, because if not, if you're not showing it to me, then, then what is this? Are you really a charitable person? Are you really a, a merciful person? And so he's taking it one step further to me, it seems like. 
And so let, let, me, let me tell you guys just a story about my life. This is a little bit of my, my, my testimony or my, my walk, my journey with Jesus. And so this, is, this will be our first story. I, um, I was born in Spokane, Washington, born and raised there. Great godly parents, so grateful for them. They were saved during the hippie movement, the Jesus people movement, right? So I had a great, unique life. I've, I've, we've had school buses in my life. We've, we've done all sorts of fun things. And so I, and I'm so, so grateful for it. But my parents took me to church, and I'm so grateful for that, that they took me to church, and they, they showed me what a, a Christian life looks like, and I think they did that well. I went to Bible school, I went to like, you know, Sunday school we do on Sunday and I learned the verses and I was able to repeat all the books of the Bible the fastest in class. I was good. I was sharp, right? That's important back then when you was a child, if you can rattle through the books of the Bible really quick. And I, I would go to Awanas and I'd memorize verses. I even went to the Awana Olympics once. Anybody been to the Awana Olympics? You don't get there uh, necessarily based off of your, your thoughts, but you get there because of your athletic abilities. <laughs> I think there was, a, there was a picture of me there. There it is, yeah. That was me. Awana Olympian. My grandma made me that sweater, so careful. And my dad probably gave me the haircut, so that's it's debatable. I think mullets are coming back, though, so maybe, um, maybe it's time. But, you know, and, and I don't want to belittle that, that, that experiences that I, was, that I was having as a kid. I was learning. I was growing. I was, I was absorbing and, and getting new facts and thoughts about God, right? All the way into my adolescence and my teenage years and into my 20s, I, I was learning and growing. But you see, in my early 20s, I woke up one morning, and the night before I had been arrested, because I was drunk driving. And so I woke up this morning and I thought, well, what's, what's going on? What, why isn't this working? I, I know all the right things. I believe the right things. I've, I've learned them. I've been taught them from childhood. Why, why am I in trouble? What happened? I believed all the right stuff. But I had gotten into partying in high school and, and I loved getting drunk because of who I be, could become and what I felt like and what I could act like and more confident. And I got used to this lifestyle of partying and living in that way. And all along, I was, I was believing in God. I believed in God. And this verse just kind of smacked me. You believe in God, you do well. The demons believe that. I see I wasn't really living out the second half of that declaration there that James throws out that you believe that God is one. It's in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. I'll read the whole section to you because it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Great. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. See, I didn't, I didn't finish that part. I didn't, I didn't live out that half. Believed it. The demons believe it. The, doc, the doctrinal statements for the demons is right on point. Believe in God, yes. They absolutely believe in him. And I had the same doctrinal statement in regards to that. But my lifestyle didn't match the second half of this section. I wasn't loving God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. Where were my works? Where were my deeds that James talks about? Did the actions of my life reflect the belief that I had in God? I would be honest and say, no, no, they didn't. 
They didn't. They actually argued, I'd say, quite the opposite of my beliefs. But I did the math, and that was 19 years ago this November that I was awoken by God. And he was giving me a little golf clap. It was kind of sarcastic. Great job, Noah. Juan Olympian. Great job, Noah. You memorized some verses. You believe I'm God. You checked the box. Good job. You went to church. Good job. And those are great things. I I don't want to, again, belittle those things. But that slow golf clap from God challenged all my beliefs. Really what, what what I really believed, what I was really doing. Because my faith was empty faith. And that's what Paul's getting, or that's what James is getting at here, excuse me. He's saying this is an empty faith. And Noah, you have an empty faith. That's what God was saying to me. So it's good that you've done all those things. That's so great. But do you want me to show you, Noah, like verse 20 says, do you see it now, you foolish person, that your faith is empty? It's idle. It's useless. It's dead. It's not working. Do you want to do something about it? What's the next thing? Will you live for me is what I, what I caught when I was getting this golf clap. Will you live for me? That's great that you believe in me. Will you live for me? Not just repeat it over and over again in my head. It still does to this day, but it's great that you believe in me. Will you live for me? I, I want you guys to think about these same two questions, and so that's why I said today's about questions and stories. So those questions, do you believe in God? You guys said, yeah. A lot of you would say you believe in God. And so if that's the case, what kind of belief is it? Take a moment. Think about it. Ask God. Go home, ask a family member, loved one, friend, coworker. Hey, what kind of belief do I have? Do you see it in my life? And then answer the next question that he's asking you. Do you live for me? Will you live for me if you don't? You see, James wants us to understand that I think faith, of, of, of faith must produce in us some visible, visible changes. There has to be some actions connected to this. It's not so much about doctrinal or, nor apologetic that James is really getting at. It's just really practical. It's about our character. It's about our content. It's about who we are day to day, our rhythms of life of what we're doing and why we're doing it. Our habits say a lot about us. And so James says that no life changes, this is my words for James, he's basically saying no life changes are symptomatic of a dead faith. And so will you live for me is the challenge. And it's great because we have two great biblical examples here in the text. So we'll hop into verse 21. It says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. Because of that, he goes into what us Christians call the hall of faith, Hebrews 11. It's a list of all these great biblical characters that that believed great things and did great things. They lived these things out in action. And so I want to read to you his, his section in the hall of faith. is Hebrews 11. 
It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. This is just an amazing story. I love the, the story of Abraham. He's just such an awesome example to, to how we can live our life and just following God. He, he, you know, early on in his life, God called him to, to leave his land. You know, it just seemed so bizarre back then. Why would you do that? And he followed him. He, he, he allowed that to happen. He, he trusted God. He had this experience with Yahweh. And he was like, okay, I'm going to follow you wherever you tell me to go. And then he promises, you're going to have a great nation behind you. I'm going to give you so many kids. He believes this for years and years. In Genesis 15, when he first receives it, all the way to Genesis 20, there's many years that happen in between. He finally receives this. And now he's challenged because he's asked to offer up his son. And will he do it? Conviction without action would be useless. So he he goes through with it. And furthermore, I, I just Abraham's so 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 great because this act of faith that he recorded in 15, chapter 15 of Genesis, it occurred before he offered up Isaac. It occurred before the law was even around. The law hadn't come out yet. He was just having a relationship with God. So this is all before the law came out. And Abraham is following Jesus. He's following God. He's, he's believing what is being said, and he's walking in it, and he's executing it. And so then verse 23 comes in, and it says, And the scripture was fulfilled that Abraham believed that God uh, believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. We, we talked about this earlier this summer in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but Abraham's righteousness was attributed to him because of his belief, his faith, and how he lived out that faith. It was given to him because he had this sincere belief, and he lived that belief out to the T. We, we broke it down this summer that before, because in the law didn't exist, he just had this relationship with God. He was, we said that he was, he was loyal to Yahweh in this land that he was called to go to in the pagan world. He trusted God when it didn't make sense. The things that God was asking him, telling him, he's like, okay, well, I believe in you. I trust you. Let's go. He obeyed him by living and teaching righteousness and justice. He believed to live these things out was just crucial. And so he obeyed God in that way. And he taught that to his kids and their kids and so on. And lastly, he looked to Jesus, he looked to the Messiah. He looked to God to provide for him along the way. That was his rule book for as far as he was concerned. He, he had those things, those relationships, those times with God. And that's what Jesus has called the Pharisees to in the Sermon on the Mountain saying, you guys, your faith is just these actions. It's actions. And you don't have the heart of a relationship with me. And so this guy, he's my friend. I'm going to call him my friend because he understands the heart and the, and the real desire of what, how we're supposed to be living this out. And what a great title to have as your legacy, right? Friend of God. That's hard to beat. That's pretty awesome. I just think about that. And I'm like, wow, that's a friend. Kirk Krager, our, our, one of our pastors here, he, he said, you know, a friend, he reminded me, he said, you know, a friend, it. It does stuff with you, right? It sits there with you. It goes with you, right? It works alongside you. He's, he's there with you. And I'm like, wow, God and Abraham are friends like that. 
That's cool. They lived out these life together. They did things together. They talked together. They walked together. And he trusted them. And it makes me think about my own legacy. You know, I got to do, uh, be a part of a funeral here this week for a lady that it was 106 years old when she passed away. That's, that's impressive. And, the, and the, the family had, and the friends had just amazing stories. She was born the year the Titanic sank, so 1915, right? So you can imagine the stories she's seen, the, the world she's seen, the, the wars she's seen, all the different changes of time and sickness and all that stuff. And the stories were great. The stories were amazing. And she had a great legacy. So cool to get to hear her story. But I, when I sit at funerals, I just often kind of morbidly think, well, if, what if I, this was my funeral? What would people say? <laughs> Maybe some of you have thought about that. What are people going to say when I'm gone? I, it's challenging. Because I'd love to be able to say at the end of this, you guys would be like, you stand up and say, no, I was a friend of God. Boom. I'd be like, that's great. Wow. I hope that could be said. I mean, I hope I could say I, was, I loved my family, that I, that I, you know, I loved people, you know. I, I hope that could be said about me, but I, I have to start doing that today if that's going to ever be part of my legacy. And that's what I just love about Abraham. His legacy was just day-to-day, he lived out what it looked like to be a friend of God. So at the end of his life, he could be called a friend of God. And that's just, that's sobering to me. That's hard because it's like, wow, do I live that way every day? Do I, do I sign up to be a friend of God? Am I listening? Am I paying attention? Am I living out the things you're asking me to do, God? No, not always. But what do you guys want your legacy to be? Roll that around. Chew on that. Write it down. Think about it. Talk to people about it. Verse 24, we kind of, switch gears a little bit because he kind of just wants to reiterate this point. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That's troublesome because Paul said is you're saved by faith and faith alone. And so there's this, there's this contrast here. And I'm like, wait, what's going on? Paul says you're faith and faith alone. That's what saves me. And you're saying, wait, justified by works and not by faith alone? Kirk did a great job with this last week, I think, unpacking it, so I don't want to spend a ton of time, but they're talking about two different types of justification here. And so, so Paul says that we're justified by faith alone, and he's saying before God in that way, and that's a saving faith. We believe that he died and rose again. That's a saving faith that we're justified by in that way. And James is on the other side of the coin. He's saying, yeah, but it's by our works that that's proven. And so we're justified by our works that we have this real faith. And so they're talking about two different things. They're using the same word, and so that makes it kind of tricky. But those are the subject change right there, different matter there going on. Because remember, he's, he's talking about this intellectual acceptance of certain truths. Just like the demons believe that there's, there's God, that's a very intellectual acceptance. Okay, I, I believe that. I, I, can, I can agree to that. But without the trust in Jesus as a Savior, it's, it's not a saving faith. So it, it is a saving faith if you put it in Jesus. It's not if you've just believed the facts in that regard and do nothing about it. So the kind of faith that saves, because I think it's important to just make this a concrete, is, is that one that believes in Christ in Jesus, who was crucified and resurrected for forgiveness of our sins. And that belief is what awakens us. That belief is what we say it makes us born again, right? It brings us to life. It awakens our spirit to God, and we're regenerated. We're alive. 
I can now see and feel and, and, and understand things differently because he has breathed, I'd say, real life, spiritual life into us and awaken us. So that's saving faith. But part two now of this Christian life is I got to exercise. I got to live this out. This belief that I have, this faith, I, I, how do I do that? This is the active living part. This is the faith that we must exercise to stay healthy in the second half of the Deuteronomy passage, healthy in our heart, soul, mind, body. Acting on our faith is very important, and we need to practice it. And we all know practice is hard. It's difficult, but it's good. And I, I believe in physical exercise. I, it's, Tucker alluded to it earlier. That I, I enjoy running. I really do. Um, I believe it's beneficial for me in a health way, right? I, I, I get healthier by running, and I feel good. It's also something that I could tell you a lot about. So I have the knowledge of it, and I actually do it as well. So it, it's a perfect example for me right now this morning because I, I, I live the faith that I have in running. I believe it's good. I do it. I see the benefits of it. I continue to do it. And it's, it's over, overflowed into my life in so many different ways where it's now it's spiritually and mentally beneficial for me as well. And I, and I love it. I really enjoy it. If you guys just want to talk about that more, we can just stop and just <laughs> talk about running. That's the classic joke with runners. So if you start talking about running, you just don't ever stop. So, um, But physically, you know, I believe it's, do, it's good to do that. So, but versus someone else that doesn't believe that, they're not going to have the same convictions to go out and run every day, right? They're not going to want to do that. But I, I think it's important to kind of picture the different type of faith and how it kind of is birthed or be, how it begins. I have this... This friend who called me, he actually called me this last week, so it was perfect. He said, hey, I want to get into running. What do I do? And I was like, wow, it's like an open audience. This is, I've been waiting this my whole life. <laughs> so here you go. So I gave him for like a half hour, I gave him like the things. I'm like, hey, check this out. Try this. Don't do that. Maybe do this. You know, I gave him these things. And I could tell on that side of the phone, he was jotting it down. He's like, okay, 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 okay. And then at the end, I said, all right, well, hey, let me know how it goes. He said, absolutely. He's like, I think I'm going to do it in a couple of days. I'm going to try it cool. I, I hope he does, right? I don't know. I'm just saying that's the beginning, right? That's the, he's got the knowledge. He's got the understanding. He knows what to do. He, you could sign, he could check all the boxes and say, yep, I know I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to try that. I'm supposed to wear this. And so he could say that he knows about running now. He could talk about it. He could tell his friends all about running in some ways. But has he done it? Is he really a runner yet? No. I hope he becomes one. I, I, I've got faith that he's going to try it at least. And we'll see what goes. And that's often, I think, how we look at the word in the Bible and the truths that we've absorbed sometimes. We look at them and say, yeah, I got, all these thought, I got all these thoughts. I know all this stuff. I got it. But now what are we doing with it is what James is imploring us with. Another story. This guy's a little further along in his faith, okay? He, I, I also enjoy bouldering at the climbing gym. So I enjoy going there and climbing, and it's just it's a great way to just stay active in that way, in an upper body way. And I have this friend who says, hey, I want to I get into climbing. I, I, you know, I see your health benefits. You're looking fit. Like, let's, uh, can I come and, do, and join you? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Come join me. So he comes, and he's like, man, this, is, this was great. And it's his first time. He's like, wow, this is, this is really fun. I want, I want to do this again. I'm going to sign up so I can come more. I'm like, okay, well, that's kind of a commitment now. You're going to financially hop in. Cool. And so he does. He pays for the membership, right? And he comes back the next week, and he's there again. I'm like, cool, you're here. All right, let's go. And we climb again. He's like, you know what? I need to get some shoes. So he buys a pair of climbing shoes. And so now he's, he's like, 
he doesn't just believe that it's a benefit to start climbing to get healthy. Now he's pot committed, right? He's paid for this stuff, and he's like, I'm in. I want to be a climber. I think it's going to be good for me. Let's go. So I said, all right, that's great. And he's just starting. He's still doing it. He's learning it. He's figuring it out. And I don't know if he'll become a great climber or not, but the point is he's, he's invested, and he's on his way. He's on his journey. The little baby steps to get to the next checkpoint are happening. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's awesome. It's so exciting, right? So there's just different phases, different levels of where we're at with our faith, where we're going, what God wants to do, and what we're hopping into, what we're comfortable with. And, and then we get to a story like this in the Word where it talks about Rahab. This is another story, another faith journey. And this is in verse 25, and it says, In the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Wow, talk about a pendulum swing of contrast, right? We've seen Abraham, he was like the pinnacle, this honorable, godly man, friend of God, right? Can we think about the contrasts here, just for a second? Just the obvious ones, we have male and female, okay? In in that world, the female definitely wasn't as equal. It was much harder, harder to be a female back then. He was a very honorable man, respected, you know, good in business in a sense. She was dishonorable. She was in a pagan nation. She She was a prostitute. She was a Canaanite woman coming from this pagan nation. He was a Jew trying to follow Yahweh just see such a contrast in, in the way that these two are, are pictured. And I, so I love that James puts them both in this story back to back next to each other because there's a dividing line here. This is a line that makes them equal, excuse me. Because her belief, like Abraham, was living and acting. It says that she was justified by her works just like Abraham. They were considered equal when it came down to their faith. And they both are mentioned in the Hall of Faith. Very different lifestyles, very different backgrounds. But she's there in Hebrews eleven thirty one. It says, By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She took care of them. She acted on her beliefs. And I love this story, so I want to I flush out Rahab's story a little bit to you and read it to you because it's just so powerful and see the contrast of this woman that had no background in the law or, or God or anything like this, right? So let's just read her story really quick. It's just a few verses. Joshua 2, chapter, chapter 2, verses 8 is where we'll start. It says, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, Hey, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. Wow. Because of what she heard, she was listening. She heard the stories of this, this Yahweh, this God, and she believed him. She said, this, this, we're, we're, we're doomed. Like, there's no way we're going to beat you guys. 
We heard about the Red Sea. We heard about that. I believed it. I've heard what you've done to these other armies. Our hearts melted because we realized there's no chance. We're not going to beat you guys. She realizes that. She understands who this God is, and she wants to, she wants to join. She wants to hop in. So she says, Lord, I, I see that the Lord has given you the land. That's her faith. She's like, I, I, just, I know he's going to do this, so I'm, I'm, I believe that. And we've heard the stories. She was listening. She believed. And now she's going to do something about it. So James is saying that we can't know really what, I, I, at least this is what I think James is saying, okay? I feel like he's saying, you know, we, we would have never known what she really believed if she didn't send these guys on their way, if she didn't really protect them and hide them and get them safety, get them to safety. And so it was that point that she crossed over the line from her beliefs of all these stories that she'd heard about Yahweh, but now she's, she's living in it. And she's willing to, to join in the story and live it out. And against any repercussions that might come, she's like, I'm, I'm, I believe in what this God has done and is doing, and I want to be on that team. And so as sloppy as that looks, I'm in. I know I'm not the, the, the candidate for this, but I'm in. I believe these stories. I want to be a part of this. Her story, for some reason, reminded me of this, another, this movie I, I watched growing up as a kid. And... Um, and the, the character's name is Bob Wiley. It's, it's from a movie called What About Bob? Have anybody seen that movie? Bob Wiley is uh, a man that is afraid of everything. He's scared. He doesn't know what to do. He's just very sk- shy and skittish. And uh, I think there's a picture of Bob here. Yeah, there he is. At one point in the movie, he is trying to overcome these fears and these worries and these anxieties. And he's, he's joined in this program called Baby Steps. And he's baby stepping his way through life in all these different ways, right? And he, he's growing. But there's a point where he's, he's so afraid of boats and sailing and things like that that he literally straps himself to the main of the boat. And as he's floating, as he's going through the water, he declares, I'm a sailor, I sail! He just owns it. He's like, I'm it. I'm the sailor. I'm doing this. And look at him. Does he look like a sailor to you? Does he look confident? Yeah. He's tied himself to this boat, though. And he's put his faith, his trust in this vessel that he was once really scared of and, 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 and frightful of, right? But he said, no, nah, I'm in. I'm gonna, I have to tie myself to this thing, but I'm in. And it looks sloppy. <laughs> but his faith is growing. And so I, I don't know, I, maybe I resonate with Bob more than I should, but I feel like that's my life sometimes. I'm just trying to baby step myself to the next thing. You know, it's part of my testimony is being up here right now as I've baby stepped my way here slowly. And it's not something I'm like super excited about, but I love the opportunity to grow. And I've been praying that God, you help me keep growing so that I can share and, and tell people about your goodness and your love and your kindness, right? And so... I, I want to keep growing. And so I'm tying myself to you, Jesus. I'm tying myself to you. I'm going to do things your way. Because I think this, like Bob, shows us that if you truly believe something and you have faith in something, you'll want to live a certain way. Rahab did the same thing. And you do something about it. If you guys are, you know, it's, I, I don't know, it's, it's, Tucker said this to me uh, earlier this week. He said, um, if you're really listening, you will be really living. 
And if you are really living for God, it's because you really listen to God. And I just kind of sat, I just kind of sat on that. Like, man, that's such a great way to say it. He always says things so well, doesn't he? He's an eloquent man. But what we do reveals who we are. And so our actions tell people what we believe. It reveals our spirit. It reveals our character. It reveals who we are. And in that case of Ray, the Rahab story, it's, it's, it's sloppy and it maybe it's not textbook as it looks like it should be. Same with Bob. It looks you know, like her actions still revealed who she was. It revealed who her true allegiance was to, where her values really landed. And so her behavior revealed that. They revealed her values and allegiance. And that's a definition of repentance that I'm coming to just really enjoy. That one's values and allegiance, if we adjust those, our beliefs, our faith, in the right direction, that our behavior will follow. It should follow. And if you don't have the behavior, do you really truly have the values and allegiance to God? So that happens inside of us, that faith, that value change. And so that's what repentance is. Man, God, I screwed up. I got to get back uh, my allegiance and values back in line with you. And now, man, I want my behaviors to follow in that. I want to, because I really believe it. I really, I'm, I'm following you. I'm strapped to this boat. God, here we go. I'm going to, it's got to follow our behavior. So these two stories, Abraham, Rahab, three if we count Bob, <laughs> they're, they're justified by the works that they did. These, these people believed in God, who he said he was, they listened to him, and then they lived out what he asked them to do. And it's so cool. I just love, I love that James gave us that contrast between those two. Verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. It's that symbioticness that they go together, they work together. You can't have one without the other. The same with repentance, right? With values and behavior. We need them to work together. They operate together. They're symbiotic in that way. Our faith, our works together, our spirit, our body together. Got another story for you. This one, um, this one came from a, a teaching friend of mine. He's been helping me, talking to me, coaching me, and um, he used this in one of his messages a while ago. And he shared this with me, and I thought, man, this is this is an amazing story. This is a true story um, about a, a tightrope walker. It was in the 1800s, and he was a Frenchman. His name was the Great Blonde, and that's what he went by. And he thought it would be a cool idea to take a tightrope and stretch it across Niagara Falls, and go across it. And so he did this one day and a crowd shows up wondering, what, what are you doing? What is he going to do? And so he gets on the rope and, you know, ties it all together, puts his, his, he has his stick there. There you go. There's a picture of him, the great blondin. And he starts out across the rope and he makes it across the rope and everyone just cheers. And he's like, man, this is great. Like, wow, that's amazing. Why would you do that? But that's amazing. Cool. (laughs) Over the next few months though, the great Blondin thought, man, I need to up the ante here. I'm getting some attention. This is good. But I think I could do it even more difficult. So he blindfolds himself and goes across. Whew. Everyone's like, this guy's nuts. But I love it. I want to keep watching it. Why are we drawn to that? That's a weird question. <laughs> the next time, he fills up a wheelbarrow full of cement. About 350 pounds is what the, the 
things I found online say. And he decides, I'm going to push this wheelbarrow across and does that. The crowds are just loving it. They're going wild. He, story after story, right? There's one point where he stops and drops down a water bottle into the water, pulls it back up, refreshes himself, keeps going. Just getting confident, right? Just very confident in his skill. It's awesome. One point, he cooks an omelet in the middle. I don't know how you do that because this is the 1800s, so I'm sure he had to drive out like an oven or something and build a fire and then cook an omelet. So I'm like, man, I wish I could see a picture of that one. But this guy, is, he's good, right? He's building this, this fandom too as well. People are just like, we got to see what Blondin's going to do next. <laughs> he's just, he's nuts. He goes across handcuffed and tied up in his legs. I don't know how he did that, but he made it across as well. So he just keeps building this reputation, right? And one time after the, the crowd is just loving what he's doing, he's playing to him. He says, hey, how many of you guys think I could carry somebody across on my back? There's the quote. Do you believe I can carry you across safely? Do you guys think he could do it? What do you think the crowd said? Do you think he said no? They just saw him bake an omelet. They just saw him push a wheelbarrow full of concrete. That crowd erupted. Heck yes, you can do that. Let's go, Blondin. Carry somebody across on your back. Go. He's like, all right, that's true. I can do it. Who wants to go? Nobody wanted to go. Why not? They saw him do all these amazing things. He did it like blindfolded. He did it handcuffed, legs tied up. Putting a person on your back, that's nothing, right? So he charged him again. He's like, come on, seriously, you guys believe I can do this? And they're like, yes, absolutely, you can do it. Well, then somebody, please volunteer. And he's like, nobody. Nobody's volunteering. But he saw some dude in the front that was like enthusiastic about, yes, you can do this, you can do this. And he's like, cool, man. Do you think I can do this? And he's like, yeah. Then why don't, why don't you get on my back? Come on, let's go. And the guy's like, not on your life. <laughs> Strike three. Finally, uh, he implores them, come on, guys, yeah, I, I can do this. You know? And he keeps upping the ante. And there's a guy in the, in the middle that raises his hand. And he's like, yes, you. You believe I can do it? Yes, I believe you can do it. Will, but will you get on my back? Yeah, yeah, I'll get on your back. He gets up there with the great Blondin. He climbs on Blondin's back. The crowd is going nuts. He steps onto the cable. He pauses momentarily, Blondin. I think it's more for dramatic effect because he knows he can do it. And then he moves across the falls without a problem. Man, what a cool bonding experience those two guys had though, right? (laughs) What a cool moment. I mean, to be the first guy to be like, I I rode on someone's back across the falls. But what a demonstration, right? Because if I were to pull that crowd and say, hey, who of you believe, who of you guys believe that he could do this? All of them were like, yeah, we believe he can do it. But who had the actual faith? Who actually got on his back? One dude. One dude got on his back. Nobody else was willing to. Nobody else wanted to. I, I can't blame him. And I don't want to I don't want to make that like the poster of how we follow God, that we have to muster up this crazy courage to do it. But there's an action point right there, right? There's something that we do do. But we look to Christ. Because we can't forget that he is the one that perfects our faith. He's the founder of our faith. 
So it's not a matter of us trying to build up all this courage to do it. But we look to Jesus. Hebrews 12, verse 2, right after the hall of faith, we've seen all those people and the way they live their life. It says, looking to Jesus, though, the author and the perfecter of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He did the work, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand on the throne of God. He did the work, maybe the greatest work, the greatest work, death on a cross. And he's seated at the right hand throne of God, which is where he places us in Ephesians 2. Follow me if you can. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. Christ did the work. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's seated with Christ. We're seated with Christ now because he is seated. And it says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This passage is often awesome because it just shows the greatness of God and all that he's done for us. If you, if you go back and look at it with me, it says, he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive with Christ. He raised us up together, and he made us sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Those are all the things that he did. He's done all the work. Now we get to sit in with him. We get to be positioned with him. We get to walk in what he has made for us and created for us because of how he's positioned us, because of what he has done. And so now at the end of that little section in Hebrew or in Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verse 10, it kind of flushes out. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's even prepared the good works for us. Now we just need to be obedient and step out in faith and and maybe tie ourselves to a boat or whatever it looks like. As sloppy as it needs to happen, we need to get in and go. We have to take our intellectual knowledge and thoughts and ideas and belief statements and say, okay, well, what, what do I do with them now? And start doing them. I want to finish my story because I kind of left it with a golf clap from God, right? Great job, Noah. Demons believe that. But will you live for me? That was the pivotal point for me in my life. That was the crossroads. That was where I took this belief on paper and I had to do something with it. And he gave me that opportunity and I'm so grateful. Because he says, will you live for me? And I was like, that... Yeah, but what, I don't know what to do. <laughs> well, here, get into my word. Read it, but don't just read it, but now let's do it. What does it say? It says to help this person, do that thing. Okay, all right. And I started to unfold those things, and I started saying yes to him when he would prompt me to do something. As weird as it, weird as it looked, right? Like, like Abraham is, I trust you, even though it doesn't make sense. I was running a business at the time. I ran a snowboard, skateboard shop in Spokane, I loved it. I wanted to buy it. I wanted to just do that. That was my life. I was completely content with that life. And God says, but will you leave and go to school? I'm like, no, I'm doing things that people go to school for. We're good. <laughs> and then and he, he did like a nice little plot twist. He's like, okay, sorry, clarify. Bible school. And I was like, oh, even worse. No. 
This was a year of God and I candidly talking back and forth and me trying to figure out what am I supposed to do? And he's like, I told you for a year, do this, go. And that's, good. that's, that's my story. He's going to ask you to do something else. But that started the journey of this, this, me getting to see God and what he wanted to do with my life. What I was content with, what I thought was, was good, it was really nothing. He had something so much better, so much grander and, that I would never thought of or imagined. And it's because you, you start to step out, or maybe, like I said, you tie yourself to it, and you say, okay, I'm in, let's go. And, and I felt like that. I was, I was lying to friends just because I didn't want to go back into the party scene. I was sloppy. I was just like, no, I can't. If I get in trouble, they're going to send me to jail. And th- they wouldn't have. But, like, I just, I had to get out, and I was so sloppy about it. Like, Rahab, I felt that way. I felt like, man, I just, I got to get on this boat, whatever it takes, and I want to follow him. I want to do what he's asking me to do. And so that's the challenge I have for you guys, because he has things for us to do. And doing, well, following Jesus is doing something. It's not just thoughts and ideas and facts, things to learn more about. There's great things to learn, but then we, we got to live those, and do those things, follow him into those things. And he was the best example. So our faith without works, they just cannot be called faith. Our faith without works is dead. And that's what God reminded me, that a dead and empty faith is probably worse than no faith at all. And a true doctrine, this is a really cool commentary wrote this, he says, a true doctrine and right conduct are inseparable. And it kind of goes with those symbiotic things like faith and works, right? Like we read in verse 26. But I, I got those two questions just lingering. I just want to reiterate those to you guys. Do you believe in me? And if so, will you live for me? And if I can throw one more question out, because it's the one that I asked. I said, that's great, God. I, I want to live for you. But what, what does that look like? What, is, what does faith do? <laughs> I'm a doer. I like checklists. I like to doing things. So yeah, give me a list. I'll bang it out. <laughs> and so He did. There's one here in the book of James. There's a whole list of things that faith does. If you're a note taker, jot these down. Number one, these are all from James. Endure, faith endures problems. It faces them and it uses them to develop character. Are we paying attention when we're in the storms of life? Are we looking for the opportunities of growth and faith and fruit to come out, right? Because if we're rooted, there should be fruit. The root brings the fruit. It's a good little catchphrase. That's not mine. Understands, number two, it understands and resists temptation. Number three, it obeys the scriptures. It doesn't just learn them. and put, It puts them into practice. And that was, that was me. I learned them all. I knew a lot of them and just wasn't living them out. So I had to start obeying them. And that's a word that our culture, I think, is a little uncomfortable with, but, man, it's been such a better life. Number four is it harbors no prejudice. Faith can do that. A faith controls the tongue, number five. An active faith acts wisely, makes the right decisions. Number seven, it lives out separation from the world, and submission to God. 
Number eight, waits patiently without complaining for Christ to come. Those are all just practical things I think faith does just from the book of James. There's, there's more in this book. And as we get to know our friend, we'll, we'll find more ways to live those things out and do those things. So will you guys act on your belief this morning? Will you guys live out this faith by actually doing what God is asking us to do? Will you live for him just like I was asked in that moment? Will you live for him? Some of you answered no in the very first question I asked. Do you believe in God? And you said, no, I don't. And that's, that's fine. I'm glad you're here because I want you to think about these things and process these things. And I want to declare something to you. that there's, God's got some what we call good news. Because I know for me, I was, I was living quite a different life than what I professed I believed in. And God himself He came to this earth for a reason. In the form of a man, he came and he lived a perfect life that we can't live, that I couldn't live, that we can't live. And he died for us. He died for our sins. He took upon those sins, those those shame, the guilt, the worry, all the hurt. And he took that upon himself. And he he has this awesome opportunity for us to, to enter into that, to believe. That's the saving faith. We believe that he did that for us. And now we have the opportunity to live out this life of faith and the trust. And so as we allow him to, to re- take our sin and our hurt and our pain, he, he transforms us. He gives us a chance to start over again. And so maybe some of you needed to hear that. I know that as a believer, I need to hear that every day. The good news is not just a one-time story that I need to hear. I need to hear it every day. I need to hear that Jesus died for the sins that I did yesterday. I need to be reminded and just say, okay, God, I just want to realign my allegiance and values to you again. I'm sorry my behavior's not really lining up. So I need that. I need that gospel every day in my life, and I think you do too. So let me pray for you guys. Lord, I, I, I profess I want to live for you. I do. I know many of us here do, Lord. I pray, God, that our lives would reflect it in how we interact with people. How we're merciful and kind and loving and charitable. We would go above and beyond, Lord, to to bless people and to see this culture renewed. Would we be redemptive people in that way, Lord? You redeemed us, so may we represent you well in how we live out our life, and how we love our neighbor next door to us, how we interact with our friends and family members, how we talk to them. God, may we be a people that look to bless others and care for others. May we be a people that follow you, Jesus. And whatever that takes, we strap ourselves to you and we live it out. So thank you, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. You are truly the best friend. And we love you. In your name, amen.